Hello and welcome to Bite Size Strategy, the podcast that provides you with less fluff and more stuff that you can actually use to grow your brand online. In every episode, we cut the banter, we get down to business, and we talk actionable tips and tricks for online marketing, copywriting, optimizing your website, and more. I'm your host, Ashley Kay, a web designer, digital strategist, and all-around nerd. If you would like to connect with me in between episodes, you can give me a follow on Instagram at BuildItAndBlossom or check out BuildItAndBlossom.com for more. Hello friends, how are we doing today? I am doing very busy, (laughs) so I am kind of regretting just a little bit um, putting out episodes every Tuesday because that means I have to record them every Monday because I have not really planned ahead too much. I mean, I have. Okay, that's a lie. I have planned ahead like crazy, and I've actually already recorded all of the episodes that you're listening to at least one time in the past, but then I've been listening to them back and I'm like, eh, I don't like the way I sound. I don't like the way I said that. I don't really like my voice there. So yeah, I am going back through um, and for each episode, I am re-recording it like the day before it is released. Not very wise on my part. I do not recommend this style of doing things to anyone, but hey, you know what? That's me. Welcome. So today we are going to be talking a lot about words and one word, just just I want to give this as a warning here, one word that I am going to use in this episode is the C word and it's not the C word that you're thinking of. The C word that I am talking about is the word crap. I thought crap was an okay word to use. I didn't think that it was vulgar or or offensive or anything like that. However, then one day when I was like 10 years old, I was at my friend's house and we were like eating dinner with her parents or something like that. And I said something like, oh yeah, like um, the paper that I'm working on right now is just a pile of crap. And they looked at me like I had just dropped like 70 F-bombs in church or something Like, they looked at me, and they were shocked, and they were appalled. And I was kind of like, what? what?" And the problem that they had was that I used the word crap. And I had no idea that crap was, like, a vulgar, offensive word. Um, I don't find it vulgar and offensive, but apparently some people do. So if you are one of those people, I just want to give you, you know, a a full warning up front that I'm going to use the C word, crap, this episode, and if you don't like it, you probably shouldn't listen to it because I still have yet to find a a suitable replacement for the word crap that isn't worse than the word crap. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, just want to get that out there. We are also going to be talking about another kind of word or another category of words in this episode, and those are hype words. Okay, so one of the things about writing copy for your website, your marketing emails, your social media captions, and all of that jazz is that most of us were never taught how to do any of this in school. So we pick up a few tips and tricks here and there. We kind of piecemeal it together. We wade through a lot of crap to find a few nuggets that we think are gold. Well, one problem with this approach is that we may be executing it incorrectly. Not like executing like we're murdering someone. Um, We might be doing it incorrectly. So enter the concept of the attention-grabbing headline right here. 
Okay, so at face value, an attention-grabbing headline is a good thing, right? We want people to be like, oh, heck yes, when they read our headlines. That's always a good goal. But the way that most of us execute it, not so good. I have a theory that our subconscious is filled with language that we heard in like infomercials, like when we are growing up. And so when we hear someone say, write an attention-grabbing headline, our mind conjures up something like straight out of QVC or one of those late-night ads for, I don't know, like the best 1950s records or whatever. (laughs) One of those late-night ads that, you know, we probably never see anymore since we've all switched over to Netflix. Today, friends, we are going to be talking about hype because I've got a couple of bones to pick with it. My motto is credibility first, always. Sounds like a pretty good motto, right? If like right now or sometime in like the middle of this episode, I just cut in and I started talking about an amazing groundbreaking opportunity that you can't miss. I can't even spit it out. It's so like foreign in my mouth because it's a hype word. You know, what if I was like sitting here talking like normally to you guys and then I just started talking about my revolutionary and outside the box opportunity that you have to go get now. I really hope that you would kind of be like, wait, what? What, What's she talking about? I would hope that you would call me out on my BS and I would hope that you would stop listening to this podcast because that is not the way that credible people talk. Too many hype words can undermine your credibility and authority. And hype words are those like, you know, cutting edge, outside the box, the best, world class, revolutionary, groundbreaking, all of those. And many so-called attention-grabbing headlines, they use those hype words and they lack humanity because they are things that no one would say in real life unless they were like a sleazy car salesman. So I want to share an example with you that makes me laugh because this is one that I have personally experienced and seen out in the wild and I am going to change the details a little bit because I actually kind of know this person. I haven't worked with them on a professional level because if I had, they wouldn't be doing this, (laughs) but I do know them kind of personally. Um, So we'll call this person Penny. Now, Penny started a true crime podcast, and after publishing about episode five, she started adopting the tagline, Best True Crime Podcast. And it is this uh, tagline that she chooses to brand herself and her podcast with still today. So it is one of the first things that you see when you visit the website. You know, she's got Best True Crime Podcast slapped right on up there. Um, It's also in her social media profiles. It's everywhere. Um, And her particular reasoning for this is SEO. And that is a very misunderstood concept, okay? And SEO, if you don't know, stands for search engine optimization. So Penny's thought process is that anyone who is searching the term best true crime podcast on Google or whatever search engine, is going to find her website because she will be at the top of Google's search results. That's what Penny believes. But in reality, not Penny's magical world, will this actually help her with SEO? Well, let me just tell you this, guys. As someone who has been in this business for close to a decade now, don't do the math on that. I'm feeling my age every day. But just take it from me, guys. It will help her rank in search engines very little, 
if at all, by adopting and using this slogan or tagline. The short explanation here is that there are so many results when you search for something like Best True Crime Podcast in Google, and the results that are top ranking or, you know, aka shown on the first page of Google, these results are from very well-established brands and websites. Search engines aren't as dumb as they used to be. You can't, like, game the system anymore. You can't fool them just by throwing some keywords like Best True Crime Podcast in your tagline. So, my darling, darling Penny, who I kind of know, but not enough to call her out on it. (laughs) Penny, if branding yourself with the tagline Best True Crime Podcast isn't helping you from a search engine optimization perspective, what is it doing? Like, I've listened to a few episodes of her podcast, and is it a decent podcast? Sure, that's fine. Is it the very best true crime podcast that is out there, as Penny promised? Well, of course, that's pretty subjective, and let me just say that's certainly debatable here. So it's honestly just making Penny look sad and desperate. She looks kind of, dare I say, pathetic (laughs) using this tagline. I know that sounds so harsh, but kind of, right? Because anyone anywhere can label themselves as the best true crime podcast or the best anything. There's no way to prove or disprove this since best, it's all a matter of opinion. It's a very subjective. And so the word essentially has no meaning. And if you use this word in a very prominent place, like in a big headline on your homepage, well, friends, what you've done is you've wasted a lot of valuable real estate. Because when you use a hype word like best in such a prominent place, you open yourself up to a whole heck of a lot of outcomes, and very few of these outcomes are positive. So if you're using this tagline, or um, I'll say like the word best in a headline front and center, one of the outcomes that can happen is a user lands on your website and they read, you know, best true crime podcast, and they think that you're full of crap, they roll their eyes, and they leave. Or two, the second scenario is the user comes to your website, they read the word best, they gloss over the rest because the word doesn't really mean much. Um, Situation number three, a user reads best true crime podcast, they believe you, but then they become disappointed when they see that you missed publishing an episode for the past three weeks. Because that's really not, you know, that doesn't line up with being the best podcast if you aren't publishing episodes regularly, right? Or our last scenario here, a user reads Best True Crime Podcast, they believe you, and after listening, they agree, in which case I will say congrats, (laughs) but you alienated a lot of other types of people and situations with your use of hype words, so maybe not congrats, right? Now, a study related to all of this was actually conducted in 2007, and this study uses a term called effective misforecasting. And what this word does is it describes the gap between expected feelings and actual feelings. Now, your girl hit up JSTOR to comb through these articles and stuff, so um, this is my interpretation of their findings and the study that they did, okay? So what they did back in 2007 is the researchers set up a situation where volunteers watched a film clip 
Before they had the volunteers watch the movie, the researcher had uh, these people, these volunteers, read reviews of the movie. So these reviews were similar to what you'd read on Amazon or Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. Some of the participants read positive reviews of the movie. You know, something like, oh, this film is very popular and it has won many awards and received a lot of praise from other students who have watched it. And then these people also read comments from other students praising it. They were told that the average rating was five out of five stars. Okay, so they were definitely expecting a pretty dang good movie. And then there was a second group of participants, okay? And this group of participants read negative reviews of the movie, and researchers told them that the film had a one out of five star rating. So these people, the people in this group, were going into this kind of expecting a heap of crap. Now, both groups were shown the same exact film clip, and the film clip was a black-and-white silent comedy that had proved to perform neutral in previous research with other students. So, in other words, I would say that the film wasn't awful, but it wasn't great either. In reality, let's say like a solid three out of five stars, and when people watched this uh, clip, they walked away feeling okay after seeing it, okay? So that's, you know, that's what that clip was about, and that's how that clip performed in um, like a test environment, okay? Or a control environment. It's been a while since I've <laughs> been in uh, universities doing the research I sound like I sound like I've never done research a day in my life, don't I? Um, so anyway, back to our study. So we have group A and group B. Group A is expecting a really awesome movie. Group B is expecting a pile of crap. So they watched the movie. Uh, before they watched the movie, though, they were asked, how do you think you will feel after watching the clip? And then they watched the movie. And then after seeing it, you know, the researchers asked them again, how do you feel now after you've seen this film? So what happened? What were the results here? The researchers found that the participants who were expecting the one star movie, but, you know, they saw a somewhat funny movie. They didn't pay much attention to the fact that they felt better than they had anticipated they would. But the other participants, and these are the ones that were expecting that five-star awesome movie, those participants definitely noticed the disparity, and it impacted the evaluation that they made of the movie. So they were more elaborate with their feedback than the other participants were. You know, they really like dove in deep and tried to figure out why this movie, why this experience didn't live up to their expectations and what they were promised. So what all of this is saying is that when people experience feelings that are worse than they expected, they are motivated to analyze the why behind this. This exploration ultimately tends to lead to a lower evaluation of the product or service in general. And the researchers of this study ended up doing a second part of it, and their findings are consistent with this concept too. So in other words, if you are expecting crap, but you get something halfway decent, you aren't really likely to even notice. You aren't going to feel one way or the other about it. But if you are expecting gold and you get something that's only okay or neutral or worse than that, 
you aren't likely to think highly of the product and you're probably going to be more like ticked off about not getting a really awesome experience or product or service too. It makes sense, right? And that's why we can't rely on those hype words to get people to buy our product or our service because if we do that, we're basically a scammer. Customer satisfaction, retention, repeat purchases, word of mouth referrals, those are all things that credible businesses thrive on. And we aren't going to get those things if we end up promising people the world and then we fail to deliver. Now, the research in this area also reminds us that we need to represent our products and our services in a realistic way. Of course, when we are writing or talking about our offerings, we're going to, you know, of course, naturally talk about them in a positive way. We're trying to sell something after all. But hyping up our products too much and then letting people down not only hurts them, but it actually hurts us as a brand. So when you are describing your offering, be careful that you are not doing so in such a way that gives people a false representation of the future. And make sure that you don't leave out critical details. It's kind of a difficult, delicate balance, right? I always have my clients focus on the benefits and outcomes of using their product or service, you know, the results that people are going to get, and I always encourage them to weave it into their website copy as well as their imagery if possible, but you really have to keep all of this grounded in reality too. So for example, you know, like guys, will taking your course really help everyone create a seven-figure life in only four weeks? So here's a little story time, okay? So what I've been working on behind the scenes for really like the past half a year um, is developing digital training materials for all of you. And I want to make sure, of course, that I am making everything the absolute best it can be, which is proving to be very challenging because I have unrealistic uh, standards of perfection and it's hard to achieve that, but hey, that's a topic for another day. But so anyway, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything right and everything as well as I can be doing it. So I signed up for and I attended a little mini course on course building. And so the creator of this course, I had been on their email list for years. And one of the emails promoting the course really got me. And you've probably received one of these too because they all tend to follow the same typical format. And <laughs> you can kind of start seeing these patterns and this format um, over time. And it becomes really like, ugh, and like really like overly played out. Um, so this email that I received was your standard, imagine how much your life would change if only you could do this. You probably thought it was impossible. Well, it's not impossible. Let me tell you about Sally who did what you want to do and she made 50k in two weeks. Now we taught Sally the exact steps to success on autopilot and we can teach you too in our exclusive mini course. Sign up now. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to lie, the idea of 50k in two weeks, like, yeah, you know what, that kind of, that got me. I live in LA, like, a salad is like $200, everything's expensive, and so making 50k in two weeks on autopilot, heck yes, like, that's going to make my life infinitely easier. 
So this email was pretty hypey, and trust me, you know, I recognize this, but it was a cheap course, it was low risk, potentially high reward, and so I bought it. And even though I did pick up a few things from it, it wasn't all a loss, it left me with a really sour taste in my mouth, and I'll tell you why. It has all to do with effective misforecasting. The course really set expectations high. So we had this example of Sally who was making 50k in two weeks, but that wasn't the only like pre-sale testimonial that was provided. There were others, you know, there were stories of a woman who made 6k in one day, another made 40k in a couple months after making just a couple tweaks that she had picked up in this mini course. Or so the testimonial made it seem. Who really knows what happened there? And then the course itself, it started out with a lot of vision exercises. So things like, what does your life look like in one, three, five years? That kind of thing. What would your life look like if you had your rent money and money for your $200 salad coming in on autopilot? This was followed up with a spreadsheet that got us crunching the numbers, and the whole purpose here was to show us just how doable our goals actually were, how attainable that rent on autopilot actually is. And so, of course, like at this point, like I was on a pretty high note, you guys. Emotionally, I was feeling energetic. I was happy because my goals seemed like they were very much in reach. And I was led to believe that the rest of the course was going to show me exactly how to hit these goals, right? Like wasn't showing me the like steps to success, what I was promised. Don't I just have to show up and press play and then I'm going to become like Sally and I'm going to have that 50k in my, my bank account in the next two weeks? Well, here's where things started to fall apart for me. It turns out that these steps for success were not quite so straightforward or they weren't quite so doable. In fact, most of the steps for success relied on other steps that weren't covered in this course, so like prereqs, if you will. For example, one of the must-have items was an email list with at least like 1,500 people on it. And until you have that, according to this course, it's going to be fruitless to work on all of the other steps because you need to build this list first. So forget about that 50k in two weeks like Sally made, rent on autopilot is completely unattainable, just a pipe dream until you have this list built up. I understand it, but, you know, not only was building a 1,500 person list not covered in this mini course, it also was never mentioned anywhere prior to purchasing the course that it was a prereq. So in reality, you know, you could spend money buying this course, but you weren't even ready for it yet. Now, remember earlier when I said when you are describing your offering, you need to use caution in the way that you describe it. Make sure that you are not leaving out critical details and or giving people a false representation of the future. Well, the course creator did not pay heed to this, apparently. My expectations were high because the creator had shown me a future that just was not realistic for most people purchasing the course, and they also left out important information when describing it before people pulled the trigger and bought it. And even though I was disappointed in how it was represented, I still did continue on with the course, um, and unfortunately, it kind of got worse. Where the disappointment really hit an all-time high was the last day. 
And it's probably not a surprise to anyone here, but of course, you know, it turns out that the mini course was more or less a device to encourage people to buy the creator's more extensive and much, much more expensive mega course. I think the mega course was like five grand or something like that. So, you know, at least for me, not like just pocket change I have laying around. And then it's only in this $5,000 mega course that we really get all of the steps for success, including the foundational ones, like building that 1500 person email list and all of that jazz. And let me just tell you, oh boy, like the creator really, really, really pushed the mega course, which I mean, I get it because if you're selling something that's 5k, and, you know, of course, you put a lot of time and effort into building that thing up. Of course, you're going to want to sell as many copies as you can because that's freaking awesome. But it was a little bit too much. So in addition to the course materials, like the, the course materials for this mini course that I did have access to, there was also a Facebook group that the creator set up for the mini course. And through the week long mini course, there were like maybe 10 to 12 posts total about the actual mini course content. And then there were 24 posts that were pushing the mega course and they were all published in a very small range of time. Like guys, it was excessive. Like I don't know how to describe it to you, but it felt like overkill. And, you know, again, like I'm not knocking the hustle because I know this is how people make money. And I'm not saying by any means that the mega course that this person was offering didn't have value. I'm sure it did. But what I'm saying is <laughs> it felt sleazy. And the worst part about this was the same pitch that was used to promote the mini course was used to promote the mega course. So once again, in these like materials that were pushing the 5k course, we were hit with the imagine how different your life could be if finally you figured the shiz out and you were making over $5,000 a month on autopilot. So you got to stop waiting around guys, you got to purchase the mega course. But like we'd already heard that whole story before. Like, I already purchased something that was promising me that and it didn't deliver. Why the heck am I going to spend $5,000 on it? And then there was like this um, mini course workbook, you know, that came with the mini course that I did purchase. And there was like an entire two pages in the back of it that were devoted to pushing the 5k mega course. And they showed like the same testimonials that were on the sales page for the mini course, but they were promoting the 5k course. And oh, it was like, this is a lot. <laughs> Except this time there was a little addition with these testimonials. So there was something that said, this could be you as early as next year, but you got to join us in the mega course and spend 5k on it. So after analyzing this, you know, and having time to sit with it, I, I will say like I wasn't having these feelings about it right away. Like something felt off to me, but I really had to take some time to reflect on it and think about it. And the conclusion that I came to is I realized that this course creator really just let me down, you know? They disappointed me and they lost credibility in my eyes. And even though I did learn some things that were pretty valuable from the mini course, I can't say that I would ever recommend this course or like moreover like this this person um, to anyone because of the hype, because of the inaccurate way that it was represented. I expected the world 
but what I received was just okay, and it left a sour taste in my mouth, and that's pretty much what effective misforecasting is. That was kind of a long story, but hopefully it drives the point home to be cautious with how you represent your offering in your marketing materials. You know, how are you putting it out there in the email marketing emails that you're sending or on social media or on your sales page, that sort of thing. I truly believe that there is such a thing as being too positive and not being grounded in reality. And that may gain you some traction initially. You know, it may get people excited about what you have to offer before they try it. But what happens is you kind of risk losing clients and customers when you don't deliver on that, when you fail to meet people's expectations. So let's ditch the hype. Let's ditch the hype words, let's get rid of them, and let's aim to be clear and credible instead. So let's get back to Penny. We talked about her a little bit ago and her uh, best true crime podcast. Now, if Penny really wants to describe what her podcast is about somewhere on her website, may I suggest a simple true crime podcast tagline right under her logo? That's something that provides credibility and context for anyone visiting her website. It's not hypey. It's matter of fact. Anyone can understand what true crime podcast means. Now, I'm going to finish up here with some specific cringy hype words to avoid. So as you are writing your website materials, as you are trying to get that copy done, don't use these. And if you already have your stuff written up, I highly recommend editing it, going back, taking these words out if you have used them. You can replace them with ones that aren't so empty and mean a little bit more. And try to not roll your eyes too hard (laughs) when I say them, okay? So the bad words here. Bad hype words. Groundbreaking. Revolutionary. Once in a lifetime. Miracle jaw-dropping, game-changing, world-class, outside-the-box, cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, satisfaction guaranteed, hidden gem, opportunity, innovative, customer-oriented, awesome, amazing, ultimate, huge, buy now, deal, skyrocket, premium, safe and effective. (laughs) Like, that one makes me laugh because, like, I freaking hope so, right? I hope what you're selling is safe and effective because if it isn't, why the heck are you selling it? Now, if you ever find yourself in doubt, if your headline or whatever you're writing sounds too hypey and credible enough, I highly suggest asking yourself this question. Would I say this in real life? So, if I was, like, being interviewed on TV, would I say, Well, Barbara, I am the founder and CEO of the revolutionary cutting-edge podcast called Bite Size Strategy. We put out episodes every Tuesday, and they are truly the best. Our listeners find that they are able to gather so much information from these cutting-edge podcasts, and I just, I'm really the best in class. (laughs) I I really stumbled over that because it feels so foreign to me. Um, But, you know, the truth is a lot of people probably would say something like that, right? 
not me. Because at the end of the day, it's really just a forgettable throwaway introduction. It doesn't really tell anyone anything and no one is going to remember it. So when you're trying to sell your offerings, triple check to make sure that you are giving people everything they need to make an informed decision and be successful. Are you really able to deliver on your promises? Is making 50k in two weeks like Sally did really an outcome that most people should expect from taking your one week long mini course? Or are you representing the future in a false way? Are you leaving out critical information just to get the sale? And I'm not saying you shouldn't attempt to represent your products or your services or whatever it is that you offer for money in the best light. You just have to be credible about it and not be a total slimeball. And that's pretty much a wrap here. So thank you guys so much for coming to my TED Talk on the importance of credibility. And always remember to avoid those hype words. If you find yourself resorting to hype words, you probably need to better uncover your brand, better uncover what people are truly getting from your offerings and your services and your products rather than just kind of assuming So thank you so much, seriously, you guys, for listening to this episode of Bite Size Strategy. This is one of those things that I really feel passionate about, so I had a lot of fun talking about (laughs) this topic, so I hope you found it enjoyable to listen to as well. Thank you for allowing me to hit you with these brand building tips. So if you are hungry for more snackable bites like this, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, and you can also visit builditandblossom.com for more content like this. All right, you guys, thank you again. I will see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving.